Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. Welcome everybody to my latest podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Amanda Adiole, who is from BPH Law. She's a partner there. She's also a solicitor advocate. She's a mother and I'm going to call her an activist as well. That's a word that I like and it's really well suited to Amanda and I'm particularly pleased to be talking to Amanda today, the day after the results in the trial in Minneapolis. And perhaps we'll talk about that a bit later on, Amanda. Of course. Uh, but first of all, welcome. And just starting off, how did you become a family lawyer? <laughs> Thank you for having me on your podcast, um, Suzanne. I'll say my surname is actually pronounced Adiola. Oh, uh, sorry. I'm no, terribly okay. sorry. <laughs> um, family law was not an area of law that I thought about at all. At one point, I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. And then I flipped and changed to wanting to become an employment lawyer. Then that changed to wanting to become an insolvency lawyer. But during my training, I was asked to go and sit behind counsel to take notes during a hearing. And because one of the other trainees couldn't, and that was it. I found it very interesting as an area of law. And I decided to pursue it uh, following that day. Fantastic. And have you had any particular mentors? And do you think mentoring is important? Mentoring is absolutely important. I, I can't speak enough about that. I think it's important for other young people who want to be in a similar position as you to be mentored by those who have got there, as it were, just to be a support system, a sounding board, and to provide that encouragement as and when you need it. I've been fortunate to have a lot of mentors. And I keep saying this every time I talk that I am a mentor collector. I've got different mentors for different aspects of my life. And it's very important because when you doubt yourself or, you know, you're stressed about something, no matter how many years qualified you are, you still need somebody to talk to. And for me, it's very important. So I've had so many from the barristers that I shadowed when I was a trainee to Karen Young, who's the legal executive that trained me. There's just so many and I'm so grateful for it. And I think it's important that we all take the time to actually mentor others. It adds so much value. It's not just about you, but it's about making sure that the next generation of lawyers are ready and prepared for what's to come in their future. Absolutely excellent, totally agree. And what's been the highlight of your career so far? Oh, wow. I think it, it's got to be in 2019, everything happened so much at the same time. I was nominated for a few awards, which is I've never had you know, in my career. And I ended up winning the Lawyer of the Year in a uh, Woman of the Year, I think it was, in the Tees Valley BME Awards. And a few months after that, I was made a partner. And it kind of came full circle because I, I've been practicing for, it'll be 12 years this year. Uh, so it's been a long time to be recognized. And I was really grateful for that. So that, that would be the highlight, really. And also you caused quite a stir and had many admirers when you were on the panel that we did with Lady Justice Hale. Baroness Hale, that was an interesting evening as well. It, it was, it was very surreal. It was sort of, uh, it's one of those pinch me moments for me. I'm very grateful to Women in Family Law for inviting me. It was an extraordinary evening and I was so grateful to be given that platform to speak from the heart and to touch people as it were, in terms of 
how we make ourselves better and do better really for our future. And talking about the future, what would you change about family law or the legal profession and why? Oh, about family law, I think it's more around the children work that I deal with. I would probably want to create a situation whereby all the pettiness sort of disappears. It becomes very burdensome and it costs a lot of money and people don't quite realise when they're fighting over pickup time or one hour here or there or there's no law in that. And that's something that as grown-ups you can do yourself and it becomes very, very frustrating when people can't agree those really tiny details about their family lives. And that's one thing I would change. I know the court often says that they're not there to micromanage, but at some point you then get embroiled in that when people just won't sort it out. And it's to just get a step away from that and people be compelled to do that without needing the court's intervention. A great answer. And I suppose this is along a similar line. If I could give you a magic wand, what would you like to do? Oh, personal or professionally? You can say either, I don't mind. I'll bring my dad back. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that with us. And just changing tack a bit, how do you manage a mother, a busy career to have a work-life balance? Have you cracked it? I think anybody who tells you they've cracked it is fibbing. <laughs> I haven't cracked it at all. I have two young ones and it is a struggle on a daily basis to juggle everything as well as other things that I do. But I think on the one hand, I see it as it's very important for my children to see that I'm doing these things so that they can be better adults when they grow up and they can also use their voice in the right way. But on the other hand, I also recognize the fact that they do need me. So I, I do try my best to have those moments where I'm not doing anything and that I am actually present and in the moment with them, be it us just eating chocolates and watching TV or rolling around and just messy play, whatever it is. When I'm with them, I have to be present because that's, you know, my best has got to be enough as my mom always says, um, because she works really hard having six of us uh, juggling wow. everything, but we had to accept that her best was enough. And she hasn't done too badly. She raised some pretty good kids. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. And so have you found it easier or more difficult to maintain that work-life balance and the connection with your children during COVID times? Oh, it's, it's been a real struggle. And we've had moments of meltdown. We've had moments of, I'm just taking a walk, so you guys just stay here. It's been really difficult when you're sort of eating, breathing and sleeping your cases right there next to you. Yeah. You don't have that distinction of where you can leave your files in the office or whatever and choose not to log in when you get home. And having that present with you every single day was a struggle. But I think explaining to my children all the time that mommy and daddy haven't got a choice, we've got to work. But again, as I say, when we're not working, making sure that we are present and doing things with them has been quite helpful but we've learned a lot about each other I have to say in this lockdown the love between my son and my daughter for example I've seen it grown ridiculously and it's been so beautiful to watch just both of them being there to hug each other to you know to play about and no more you're irritating me because I'm older than you so go away but it's been quite good and bad but you know we take both in equal shares. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think many people have recognised what's really important in life. That's right. That's right. And so what do you think we could do as a profession to encourage better well-being? We need to start talking about it. And I think a lot has happened in the past where people feel like they have to wear being strong as a badge of honour. And you have various comments about, oh, you know, I had a baby and I came back to work after X weeks as if it's something to be proud of and therefore causing unnecessary pressure for others. And we are moving away from that. But the more senior people that talk about well-being and the fact that they also struggle with their caseload and juggling, it will help the younger generation of lawyers to be able to speak up about it as well. And I think we really have to move past this really toughened wall that we have around the legal profession and nothing can penetrate us and therefore we are you know super strong and we can take on the whole world it's okay to say you're not okay it's okay to have a meltdown and I I started to learn to do that just last year because I've always been afraid of being thought of as weak really you know I've said this before I'm six almost six foot tall I always have to have that extra inch to half an inch to it I'm five 11 and a half, you know, what's six foot between friends. And I've always got this exterior that I'm super strong and nothing can phase me. But last year life did happen. And I had that moment in which I just had to let everyone know that it, if you're not okay, it's absolutely fine. And we need to have more of those conversations so that people don't think that, well, you're not okay, you carry on. And therefore, because of that, you're strong, you're brave, you can deal with anything. But we're all human at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's something that's come to the fore in the pandemic. I think people have said that they're not okay, and I think there's much more attention now to well-being. I'm hoping it's not lip service. I'm hoping it's proper attention. Absolutely. And I suppose I suppose that leads me on to something that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is really, as I say, just so serendipitous that we're talking today, and that's about diversity and inclusion and what your thought is around that. You know, first of all, do you have any thoughts about what's happened in America overnight? And secondly, what can we do as a legal profession to better our own situation in relation to diversity? Oh, what happened yesterday was huge. I was sitting here watching it and I felt this huge sense of heaviness. I don't know whether it's because, I think it's mostly because I felt that fine, justice has been served, but someone is still gone a family has still lost a loved one and they can't bring him back no matter what. And regardless of whatever anybody says about George Floyd, who he is as a person, what he's done in the past, he didn't deserve what happened, but he's hoping that the decision yesterday will create that force for change, that the cry that people have been having about injustice in the black community in America and everywhere else the people start to actually sit up and say something has to happen now to find out that that was the first time that a police officer would have been jailed for killing a black person in that state was huge. Mm. It's just incredible that so many people have lost their lives without the person who committed the act being brought to justice. And for me was a huge sense of relief as well as a huge sense of sadness. I just hope that Judge Floyd's family can get a little bit of closure. I, I know it will be nowhere near, but they have to be proud of the movement that he created 
and the call for change that his name has created. Now that is a huge legacy to leave. It shouldn't have happened that way, but that's a legacy that they should hold on to. Yeah, and, and in the legal profession, what do you think we can do? Well, I've said this before, because I get very annoyed when I hear the word policies. It, it annoys me. It's like, I feel like I need to have a bonfire with policies and just burn them all. Because there's a lot of talk about we have policies in place to make sure that you know our workforce is diverse. But the conversation remains that even if you have a diverse workforce, do the people that you have got around your table, do they feel included? Do they feel like they're part of the structure of your organization and that their voices will be heard? Do they feel that if they say something, it will be taken seriously and that they won't be dismissed? Now, that's the importance. You can't just have, you know, a gay person in your organization, a black person, an Asian person. And you think, oh, yeah, well, look, we've got one of everybody. So we're OK. We are diverse. But that's not it. Diversity and inclusion is a lot more than that. And people need to have more education and training around what it means. There's lots of studies about the importance of diversity, not just to a business in terms of profits, as well as getting the most out of people. A lot of organizations are not tapping into this huge secret because we're all different, we're all unique, we all bring our own individual traits to work. But when you have a lot of individuals with so much talent, it just creates, you know, I keep calling it magic because that's what it is. And people don't understand that I won't tap into it. And there has to be a lot of training around the importance of diversity, as well as the importance of inclusion. You cannot have one without the other. And the profession has a long way to go. There was a lot of conversation about it last year. A lot of people are doing a lot of things, but we have to keep on with that momentum and make sure that when you're giving opportunities to people, you're giving opportunities to them, not just because of the color of their skin, but because of what they will bring to your organization. You're not writing people off because of their names. You're not writing them off because, oh, well, they've got a disability, therefore, oh, it's gonna be too much work. You're not writing them off because they're gay and that you don't agree with you know, who they are. You've got to embrace everybody. You know, my mom always says, we all come in different shapes, colors, and sizes but you've got to embrace all of that to be able to actually enjoy life. Because if not, why do we travel to other countries to go and enjoy different cultures? Mm. But then you come back home and you have an issue with somebody who's black. I, I don't understand it. If you want to explore the cultures, you have to explore everything about those people that come from that culture as well. And that's what you know the legal profession has to embrace. But I'm hoping that this will be a change because I know the Bar Council and the Law Society in particular with the appointment I have to say for the appointment of Stephanie Boyce which I'm very grateful to see that that's happened that we have the first black female president of the Law Society and that's one of her agendas to make sure the diversity and inclusion is at the fore. And I know with you being anywhere involved with that is going to have some momentum. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not but I'm offering my help if they I'm need sure to. <laughs> And do you have any tips for any young lawyers who might be listening today? Uh, I think that the most important one is to be yourself. Mm. It's ridiculous how people think that they have to speak a certain way, you know, pretend to be who they're not, just to make their way into the profession. If you can't be yourself, then it would be difficult for you after a while to assimilate yourself into an organisation if they find out who you really are. So being honest about who you are and embracing who you are. I think a lot of us over time 
myself in particular, have struggled to accept who I am because of certain perceptions that people have about you. And you try to dumb down that as a result. But being proud, loud and tall, as I call myself, is very important. So you have to go into any space and occupy it as your whole self. Also, if you're struggling to get into the profession, don't be despondent. It takes, you know, a lot of grit and patience. You will get a lot of rejections. Most of us did. I got a lot. I can't remember how many now. But if you know that it's what you truly want to do and you see yourself as a barrister or a solicitor, whatever the case may be, in the legal profession as, as a whole, then you have to really stay the course to be able to break down those barriers. That's fantastic. And what would you say to your younger self? Looking back now, what would you what would you like to say to your younger self? Well, I would say to her, don't listen to the teacher that wrote on your report card. And I still have the report card. It says, um, it's got my Nigerian name. It says, Bellumi is a really good girl, but she talks too much. Well, I'm going to say to my younger self, keep talking because your voice is valuable. And I love that. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Is there anything we've missed? Is there any topic that you would like to talk about? Freestyle. Oh, freestyle. Right. What would I like to talk about? Nothing, really. I think we've covered everything, to be honest, you know, in terms of the profession as a whole. I think we probably need to talk a bit about women in the legal profession and making sure that we're getting the correct recognition. I think a, a lot of women are, are written off in terms of progression because you're going off to have a child because you have care and responsibilities. And therefore, as a result of that, you're not giving your proper due is what I, you know, I would call it. And I think it's important that we need to move away from that. Whether you're a mum or you work part time, you bring a different skill to the job. I think yes, my juggling also, skills has gone off the roof since I had children. Yes, yes. And also, I think you, if you don't necessarily work full time, you're very present when you're working because That's you, right. you've That's got a different right. attitude to other times. So I totally agree. And I hope that what we're doing in women in family law is bringing women to the fore, helping women connect with each other to be able to talk about the things that they are passionate about the concerns they have obviously our mentoring groups there's a whole range of things yes and obviously it's been great for me to be in this really lovely position of interviewing fantastic people like you so thank you Amanda Adiola for being with me today and for giving your thoughts and insights on a whole range of topics I knew it was going to be wonderful and it has been thank you Thank you so much for having me and, and thank you to all of you at Women in the Family Law for the amazing work that you do. Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wifflaw and follow, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.